0: The following podcast is set in a quarantine New York City. As such, some of the language and much of the content is intended for mature audiences. Consider yourself warned. Conrad cannot shake Raphael and his Attempt to make a transcontinental to a free Los Angeles. In an attempt to suppress the press, Conrad and his bodyguard conduct a guest edit of the Voices Walls in Astor Place, tearing down the articles of Natalie and her father, Bowman. This only leads to a backlash and Conrad is stuck with the association of Raphael and can only hope Raphael will disappear. Population 107,363. This is the decline and fall of all y'all. It was Tuesday morning, I was fast asleep in the blue and gold French Renaissance bedroom on the northern wing of the old police building. I know the exact time of the explosion, 5.48 AM, because the blast was strong enough to knock my wind-up alarm clock off its nightstand and onto the floor where it stopped ticking forever. The first thought was that we'd had an earthquake. It's funny, but I never entertained the thought that it could have been a PCA strike. I rose, looked out my window, A thick cloud of black smoke was rising in the dawn's blue light to the north. I'd been out drinking the night before and had a hollow and stale feeling in my stomach, which transformed to burning and agitated when I realized the smoke was rising over Chelsea. The second explosion came as I was dressed and leaving my room. This was bigger of the two blasts and blew out windows all the way down to 12th Street. I quickened my pace down the stairs, grabbing a bike on the way. Down on the street was a ragtag, sleepwalking army of witnesses looking for history. It must have been the early hour, because even as the crowd swelled, they stayed quiet and sluggish. There was a big line at the border check on 14th Street where I pulled rank to pass through, without even getting jeered at. Past 15th Street, I felt the heat of the fire. At this point, I pretty much resigned myself to the fact that Raphael's garage was at the center of it all. I remembered the garage's condition during my visit, piles of greasy rags, buckets of flammable fluids, and everyone with a smoke hanging out of his mouth. It's a miracle they lasted as long as they did. The only surviving witnesses was a young boy who was sent to the river to get water to cool a recently tested turbine. The boy testified that it was Raphael's idea to light off the fireworks. They were meant to be an early morning announcement that this great transcontinental passing would be coming soon to a patch of sky near you. The fumes from the jet fuel and resins, the greasy rags, the careless cigarettes tossed on the floor, it all caught up with them, and the fatal spark caught. It was probably just a Roman candle shot in the wrong direction, and kaboom. Less than an hour later, the fire had spread two blocks. It had been a dry fall and winter, and there was a steady breeze rising off the Hudson flames rose seven stories high with the bittersweet vines covering the buildings helping it along it soon burned too hot for the Lenape firemen to get close before the quarantine the district was partially used for industrial storage and now all the forgotten toxic secrets nestled in the warehouse basements were making themselves known to the world another barrel of leather dye another boom another five hours added to the fire It just kept going, and there was no point in waiting for it to stop. I went back to my offices, which were like a morgue that day. Workers who managed to show up kept their faces down and shuffled papers. It was depressing enough that I spent a sum total of 10 minutes that day playing governor. The night the wind shifted, pushing the smoke downtown. It was so thick at times that you couldn't see down the block. Ash covered the street. The light the fire gave us was beautiful and awful, as if part of Manhattan had been turned into a big hearth to warm us in the dead of winter. It got worse the second day, if you can imagine that. Another explosion from a pre-quarantine industrial toxic barrel fueled the fire, and it reached all the way to the boundary of the Hudson River. Good, right? The river will stop it. Wrong. It just moved north and roared right into a Lenape food depot. This loss of food rations, I knew, would give rise to a lynch mob or two. As the perceived backer to the disaster, I was the likely candidate. Sure enough, that night, a large but undedicated mob collected on the streets outside the old police building, then lost interest. The next day, it was discovered that the son of Secretary Dupre, the head of the GNG, was in the garage at the time of the blast. He was looking to continue his late-night decadence into the morning. This is the casualty that really sunk me. Not that I had any intention of swimming. I'd resign myself to the disaster. I'd let those days pass locked in my bedroom, waiting for a herald to ride down from the GNG with my walking papers. I sat on my bed, staring at my bare fireplace, silently meditating alongside a bottle of Jim on how, in a flash, things can go to shit. PCA units were spotted across the river on the third day of the fire. For the first time in a long time, they stood out in the open, their binoculars trained on the city. This was no small unit and it was backed by a division of tanks. A giant plume of smoke in the air that could be seen for 100 miles was the kind of reminder the city of the Continental Powers could not tolerate. The deal we wordlessly arrived at was that they didn't mess with us and we didn't remind them, or the loyal citizens of those United States of our existence. Okay, some continental youngsters occasionally snuck across the front lines to the island, but to the rest of the continent, we were fiction. A big cloud of smoke, however, was hard to ignore. The unmarked black PCA helicopters moved in at dusk. I happened to be on the roof watching the sunset, which was a brilliant red-orange due to the smoke first came the sound, the chop and the whoosh of the blades. Then the fast-moving black dots appeared on the western horizon. The swarm of angry hornets was headed our way. This is it, I thought. They were in triangle formation, ten of them all together. As they moved across the city, they dipped low below the building line. Just as they reached Manhattan, they rose back up. Later I'd hear a variety of pants shitting stories from squatters caught on the west side at the time. One poor unfortunate jumped out of a window when he saw the choppers, and suffice to say, I didn't get his story firsthand. Puglies and drabids drew their pistols on the heavily armored choppers and took desperate pot shots at them. As the choppers moved in over Chelsea, I saw the giant pouches attached to their underside for the first time. What was this? Some crazy new way of dispatching troops? They went straight for the fire, hovered over it. Blades fanned the plume of black smoke so it began to swirl around them like black arms reaching out for the heavens. And then the pouches of the four of the choppers burst open, letting out. Water. Fucking water, my friends. Not a fine mist this time. A waterfall. They hadn't come to evict us. They'd come to shut us up. If we couldn't take care of the smoke signals, they would. The next new line of choppers moved in with their pouches full of river water and opened them up over the fire. Puglies and dravids were cheering them on now, even after one of the pouches burst open prematurely on the west side of the highway and washed one of their brethren into the icy river. He survived with a serious case of frostbite. All over the city, squatters came out of hiding and went up to the rooftops to watch our continental adversaries silence our little disaster. The sun went down and the black smoke turned to steam. All alone on my terrace, I watched the choppers work into the night and drank from a flask of sour mash. For a brief moment, my anxiety was lifted. We'd suffered a setback. There were consequences yet to come, but at least we would not be evicted from our decaying but much loved perch. But as my breath formed clouds in the cold air, I let go of the fear, clutched my flask tightly and felt, for some few last moments, just fine. You have been listening to The Decline and Fall of All Y'all, written and scored by Norm Cody and read by James G. Berry. This podcast is an unlimited liability production. For more information, visit declineandfall.us, where you will also find the soundtrack for the book, recorded by the quarantine band, Motorsoft. You can also like us on Facebook, where we'll keep you posted on episodes and extras. We love New York City. Long live New York City.